Well, g'day, g'day. This is Joshua B. Kirkman, the host of the Nordic Surfers Magazine Conversations podcast. Wanted to record this quick introduction for you to introduce uh, the guest today. She is none other than Belinda Bags, one of the most stylish surfers on planet Earth, full stop. Uh, this audio podcast was recorded on a beautiful day in Scotland and it is the perfect companion to the 22 pages of glorious photography done by the man Al McKinnon in our most recent edition of Nordic Surfers magazine. This magazine is a beauty. It has that fantastic cover art that you've seen online already by Tyler Warren and you can now order your own to put into your library at nordicsurfersmag.tiktab.com or nordicsurfersmag.se. Check it out, get one for yourself and enjoy the podcast. What does your week look like in a in an average week wow, in the okay. life of Belinda Bags? Average week in the life of Belinda Bags yeah. would be um, potentially early morning surf, race around getting my son ready for school, mm. school drop off, race to the office where I sit or stand at my desk for the next six hours clumping away on a computer screen and filing through Instagram on my phone mm. and then racing back to school pickup and then finally having a second to breathe where we go to the beach and surf and I teach him to surf or if the waves are bad we like beach walk and find shells and collect rubbish Great. dinner and then I work till midnight. Yeah, right. And, and then rinse and repeat five yeah, days, sure. five to six days a week. <laughs> and this is for Patagonia though, right? That's it. That's who you're working yeah, for. Yeah, so I work for Patagonia Australia. Yep. Um, it basically come about because I was a surf bum. Mm -hmm. um, I've always loved surfing when I finished school. Um, well, my parents firstly said, you can surf as much as you want as long as you pass. Okay. So that was my rules with school. Like they yeah. let me have time off as Great. long as I was passing and, and like you know, performing to a high standard of my ability yeah. with, within all my subjects. Okay. Um, and then I left school and it was like, do you want to go to university? I was like, mm, not really, because I don't know what I want to do. Yeah, right sure. now, all I want to do is surf. Mm. So I'm going to take gap year and figure it out. Mm. I'm still on my gap year. Yeah, sure. Sweet. Um, so yeah, I basically just become a surf bum and um, eventually started... Um, surfing ambassador role with Patagonia yeah. which was excellent because it was a really good fit with my you know environmental thoughts yep um, and it was just great to be working with a company that had essence and a little bit of meaning towards yeah and then of course as I got older and the need for money occurred that happens um, I was like I need you know I need more money I need more money I can't <laughs> just live on a travel budget yeah yeah and I'm like well you know we can't really give you more money but like there's a job here that's going mm. um it's social media so i'm currently social media manager of patagonia australia mm. i hadn't studied it before mm. but they said i knew their brand yeah sure and if anyone knows patagonia it's you know it's quite different to the way most brands mm. um operate Indeed. and so they their values they thought that me knowing their brand was priceless in a situation where I'm constantly posting out to the sure. public on social media. Sure, sure. So I said, we'll teach you social media if you, and you like, you know. Run with it. Run with it. So yeah, cool. that was it. Okay. And, and how was, um, I guess a follow on question from that then, like what was the transition like from being the surf bum to actually having a, not, I know it's not a nine to five, but like, no, what but was it, it like to transition yeah. into work? 
Um, honestly, I still struggle with it. Yeah. To be completely honest. Mm -hmm. um, I hate the fact that I have a desk and I'm in denial. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's pluses and minuses, you know, like time constraints, absolutely hate yeah but i also have a son yeah and i need to be a somewhat responsible i call myself an irresponsible responsible parent okay yeah sure <laughs> so, that, works. that works um so you know like that aspect of it the stability and money hmm. um is great and also still working with patagonia so it's yeah. been like a great um just great to be working with a company that that is actually doing good in the world yeah totally um, the things I don't like is just time constraints at my desk. Yeah. I don't really fit in that corporate world. So yeah, I often yeah. sit in meetings and I'm just like, oh yeah. my God. You yeah, know? sure. sure. Um, but yeah, I, it's, it's a bit of a struggle, but I think overall, I, it's a great option for me at this point yeah. in my life. So. Yeah, sure. Well, um, tagging onto the Patagonia stuff and the uniqueness and what they do in the world. Um, we're actually here in Scotland um, for a bit of a bit of product testing, a bit of um, interaction with the pro, the ambassadors, I should say. And um, you visited um, the Fair Trade factory in Sri Lanka. Yes. And so, what were some of the highlights of that kind of trip, and and what you learnt about some of the benefits of this fair trade approach and what Patagonia is actually doing there. Can you kind of enlighten the, the yeah, viewer? Yeah, so um, I was going on a surf bum trip to yeah, Sri Lanka. as you did. Um, Patagonia knew I'd been interested in the fair trade because I'd been asking a lot of questions. Mm -hmm. um, and they said, hey, like there's a one of our sewing factories right there in Colombo, like we can arrange for you to do a little visit. So mm. I was so stoked to mm. be able to actually um, see firsthand mm. how that is or isn't affecting the lives of the workers. So. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, for me it was really eye-opening because the, the notion of fair trade is, you know, generally treating workers well, giving them a safe environment to mm. work in, um, paying them a living wage. Mm. And as an Australian or someone living in the first world, mm. you don't really realise the pressure or just the shitty situations mm. that people are put in in order to make a living. Mm. Yeah, sure. Um, and so going to Sri Lanka, spending a couple of days in Colombo, yeah. driving through like the city and seeing like the rich and the poor mm. and how that kind of works in in a, in an Asian third world country mm. um, is firstly really eye-opening. Mm. And then going into the factory, you know, I noticed that about 75% of the women in this particular factory, um, which is MAS Leisure Line, were women. Yeah. Um, and getting to talk to them and seeing firsthand, like having them tell me, and not just tell me, like I was so emotional about it. Like mm. we had people coming up, like thanking us for being part of Patagonia mm. and saying stuff like, you know, my baby was sick and, you know, because of your, your guys' contribution, like my baby's not sick anymore. Mm. Or like, hey, you know what? I'm actually giving my, my son and my daughter a chance of, bettering their lives mm. because I can now afford to get them an education. So on this um, this fair trade then, so just so that people understand how the system works, yep. Patagonia goes through a certification process? Yes, correct. So, with, um, yeah. can so you explain Patagonia that? works with Fair Trade USA yep. um, on helping transfer a lot of their um, was well, not there, but like the factories that they use yeah. to be fair trade certified. Okay. 
Um, so there's basically a bunch of like standards yep. that the factories need to meet yep. in order to be become fair trade certified. Mm-hmm. Um, but on top of that, Patagonia pre- pays a premium, yeah. which is what actually is the fair trade certification. Yeah. Okay. So the factories themselves um, now have a higher standard yeah. than the majority of the other factories mm-hmm. um, that aren't fair, like possible to be fair trade certified. Yeah. But either the company doesn't actually receive that fair trade certification until they pay yep. a premium on top of the cost. And what happens with this premium? So the premium then goes to a type of workers' union yep. where all the workers get to vote okay. on where, what they see most beneficial to use this money for. Yep. So a lot of the um, a lot of the factories have done things like childcare facility. Mm. So and in a place like like Sri Lanka, um, you know, it's the difference between the mother being able to go back to work mm. and knowing that their children are looked after. Mm. Um, or in a lot of cases unfortunately like the mother's having to leave the children mm. potentially unsupervised or just not looked after in it in the way that they would see yeah, best totally. um, to go to work to make money for them to survive yeah and sure. so yeah the difference is that they also you know pick a lot of different things like the the particular factory that we went to had just chosen just to have bags of essential items yeah right. which to me for full-time employees like wanting to have bags of rice and feminine women products yeah, and you know, medicine for your children, like that should just be normal, but Mm. in their communities, it's not. Mm. Um, Mm. But it was just really heartwarming for me to see the fact of how much of a difference Fairtrade's actually making Mm. in their communities. Yeah, sure, sure. It must be kind of a very complicated uh, situation for some of these factories, because I understand that um, some of these factories use, sorry, some of these other brands use the same factories as Patagonia do, right? They do, um, but they have a choice whether they want to pay, pay that premium, yeah. which then gives them the fair trade certification. That's right. Many, it, it's a very, it's a very complicated web of um, factories and brands using the same um, locations to produce goods, and often uh, a factory is better at one thing than another. Yes. So, correct. for example, the shirts might be good in this particular... I, I think you explained yeah, the other day about... That's the... basically what, um, why we have so many factories yes. um, at Patagonia, because certain, um, certain facilities yeah. specialise in certain, yeah. certain types of um, garments. Yeah. And so these factories, may, but Patagonia may well be only using 10% of that factory's capacity. Yep. And so therefore the other 90% of a factory uh, is making stuff for other brands. Yes, correct. And they have the opportunity to pay this premium and then become fair and then trade become certified. become fair trade certified, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, which is a really interesting kind of thing for the consumer to realise. So it kind of what I mean. Would you agree that there's an opportunity there for other brands to basically just make a very simple step there's up? There's a huge opportunity, especially with um, you know, and Patagonia kind of already doing the groundwork yeah. in in creating that opportunity for mm. them to just step up. And all they basically have to do is then pay that premium. Yeah. So the premium, I think, depending on the garment, yeah. is somewhere between one and five percent. Okay, one and five percent. Yeah. Um, I, I guess people just need to ask themselves whether that's. Um, but here's the thing, right? Does Patagonia Patagonia actually doesn't pass that one or five percent onto the consumer, do they? They actually wear it in the margin, or? Oh, that might be a question for someone. Yeah, else. sure, yeah. sure. I <laughs> think sure I remember from a conversation yeah. 
that it was actually, um, I think, uh, yeah, from my visit last year to the headquarters in Ventura, they, they mentioned that. So it's an interesting situation. But um, what, um, let's kind of take a sidestep back to another issue that you've been working on lately. And that's one that's closer to home. So, I mean, you're actually from Newcastle originally. I am, yeah. I grew up there. My whole family's all still from there. Yeah. So I still spend, you know, Christmas. Sick every year plus multiple visits yep. back in Newey. Yeah, back in Newey. And so what are, um, I mean, what was it like, because you don't live there now, I understand, but what was it like kind of growing up there? Like what, what are some of the defining moments for you being a, a kind of a long border in Newey? Yeah, you know, um, I really love the town mm. now. I think I had a bit of a love-hate relationship with it when I was a kid, yeah, especially sure. learning to surf. I'd go up the coast to these North Coast point breaks yeah. and was so easy to get out mm. and you had time to went on the wave to like yeah. learn to cross step yeah, and things yeah. like that whereas on the you know onshore beaches at home yeah it's not so forgiving nah. you know nah. um so i think i once i become an adult i think i was always looking for the grass is always greener yeah, you know sure. i had this dream of like moving to cool and and i yeah, did that sure. and i hated it yeah. <laughs> and then i had this dream of moving to byron bay and i did that and i hated it <laughs> and then i've traveled all over the world and i think the one thing that I've taken out of that is that the grass really isn't greener. <laughs> <laughs> this grass may this well be greener. This grass might though. well be greener. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I think, you know, for the most part, like, I love that the town has kind of instilled these values in me. Yeah, sure. And I feel like I still have that. And um, quite often than not, when I do meet someone else from Newcastle, mm. like, we do sort of share that bond. Like, mm. I guess home is where the heart is. Yeah, yeah, totally, totally. Even though I don't actually live there every day now, like, yeah. I still do really, really love the place. But, and coming to that love, um, I understand that that love was quite reinforced very recently because of some very silly things happening off the coast. Yeah, so what's so, happened? Um, basically, um, they've been doing seismic testing okay. off the coast um, of Newcastle and even down into the central coast. Yeah, right. I spent a lot of my teenage years surfing down around Swansea Heads. Oh, yeah, and cool. that's actually the epicenter of oh, where okay. all the seismic testing's going on. Okay. Um, when I heard about it, I was just really saddened and angry that this was happening in my home yeah like and i i i thought for a while that maybe i'd lost that sense of that mm. place of newcastle being home mm. but it just really like ignited a fire in me mm. and made me realize that you know this is still my home and mm. i love this place and i love these waters and without those beaches there like mm. I wouldn't be the person that I am mm. like not just in a surfing sense mm. but like emotionally and physically mm. I wouldn't have the bond with my father that I do mm. you know and it's just such a special place for me and to hear that bad things are happening is and so for the seismic testing is to is for is the early stage for yeah, exploration so, of gas or, or um, what's the what's the go they actually so there's a company called advent energy mm -hmm. um and they have the exploration rights for oil and gas off in in those waters. Yeah. Um, and they're currently testing mm. for that. Yeah, okay. So their first batch of testing was three days, I believe. Okay. Um, and it's come back with uh, good findings for them. Oh, okay. And now they have approval to do further testing. And so I understand that, um, and I mean, I think it's freaking crazy as well, <laughs> you know, 
it's like um the hunter region can't kind of let go of fossil fuels it, it's like their main game it or is something and it like has that. been like you know ever since the the start of Newcastle, I yeah, guess, exactly. was it was a, a, it was a coal, port, coal yeah. port, yeah. yeah. Um, and it's definitely cleaned up a lot. Definitely. The sad thing about this is that I don't know if it is actually going to produce many jobs for the area. Yeah, sure. And on top of that, it has devastating effects to the fishery industry. Yeah, yeah. So it's actually taking away from the hardworking people of Newcastle. Mm. Um, and the, the risks are significant, you know, once you, once you have gas um, platforms. Exactly. in a place you know and that's i can't decide what right now what's the most daunting like the seismic testing destroying and harming our wildlife yeah or the potential looming threat of having coal and gas um sorry gas and um oil rigs yeah. out in our ocean yeah yeah so. yeah it's um it's a challenging idea and so what can people do if they're equally as outraged as we are about this so there's any um initiatives that you can point them to yeah so um there's a group in newcastle called stop seismic testing newcastle they have a facebook page um search them up have a read on there they put all the most relevant information up on there cool. so it's a really good way to get yourself educated mm -hmm. and they also have a petition that's going towards um i believe the federal government okay um to try, <laughs> to try and stop um, yeah. all this from happening and show early opposition. Yeah. So hopefully it'll get stopped in its tracks. And look, and it's quite a remarkable thing because uh, for me, I also lived in Newcastle for quite some time um, studying there. And um, the, the town has evolved so much and there's so much more to the place than than fossil fuels these days you of know course, it's got a huge yeah. university with lots of yeah. jobs created around that there's lots of um kind of innovation centers there's like excellent cafes there's a whole yeah, vibe a whole there that's really solid a lot of tourism, tourism industry, yeah. and so it's it, it is kind of crazy that um to to even kind of go down this path and so i guess um before we wrap up though i would say please follow up on that if you're as equally outraged as we are about this seismic testing but for you moving forward are there any interesting i mean we're in scotland now we are in scotland you've been doing some cool um you've been doing some cool shooting um with al and you've been kind of cruising around and getting no sleep um what what can what can people expect to see from you in the coming months what do you do you have any cool plans in the pipeline probably more outrage about the seismic <laughs> testing issue well that's good um yeah when i get home i'm gonna head back up to newcastle and, okay. and see how i can try and help them out yep. a little bit more great um and I have a six-year-old son. Oh, yeah. So I'm planning to spend as much time with him <laughs> yeah, as course, I can. Of course. That's um, the responsible mother. Bit, yeah, responsible okay. mother. Okay, cool. Um, and, you know, just surf and live day to day. I think my goal right now as a human is to try and cut my environmental footprint down. Yep. Um, obviously, trips to Scotland are not helping that with the air miles yeah. that I just clocked up. So that's kind of my goal is to okay. like just cut down and work on on reducing my environmental footprint. Cool, cool. Well, we'll leave it there. Um, I guess the key takeaway from this, and, and much like the interview that I did with Dan Malloy, is that there, there is this kind of way to be uh, an exceptional surfer and get that time, but also kind of have a job and, and get a lot of fulfillment out of that job. So for, for anyone out there that's looking at this kind of professional pathway in your surfing, that's all well and good and, and, and we're probably quite happy to view your performances and, and, and that's great. But don't forget that there are ways for you to do so much more with your, uh, your resources and skills 
than than simply going you know tear apart some waves and and as Belinda kind of um, pointed out um, there are opportunities out there for you to get involved in some of these bigger causes that that will have long-lasting impacts if we if we don't pay attention and do something so thank you for tuning in again and thank you Belinda for sitting down before we get in our cars and head to the airport and uh, stay tuned for hopefully some more interesting interviews with some pretty cool environmental legends. Thanks. Thank you. <laughs> so there was another episode of the Nordic Surfers Magazine Conversations podcast, this time with the wonderful Belinda Bags, uh, who had a lot to say about fair trade and also about some of the uh, environmental challenges facing the east coast of Australia presently. So uh, if you want more information about fair trade or, or some of the things that Belinda was speaking about, uh, there's some links in the description for you to follow if you want to learn more. Uh, while I've got you, this, uh, this, this podcast episode links to our recent magazine, which is now available uh, for sale online, but also in all good surf retailers. Um, it's 22 pages of Belinda bags, just ripping some beautiful photos by Al McKinnon. Uh, a bit of an interview there with her as well to read. Check it out if you haven't got it already. In the most recent magazine, we've also got that great feature with Taro Tamai uh, in northern Norway. Super cool. Uh, our food campaign has also launched, so there's some tasty treats in the magazine, but also expect to hear more about some of those treats in the podcast soon. Um, while I've got you, I want to say thanks to everyone listening and feeding back about the podcast and also about the magazine. Uh, you know, we try to do our best. Um, we think it's improving. Uh, but yeah, it's always good to hear back. And if you if you feel like it, if you've just listened to the podcast and you think, yeah, I think that's a pretty good podcast, uh, feel free to leave us a review in uh, iTunes. Uh, that, that always helps. Leave a comment too if you feel it. Um, it is Christmas, so thanks a lot for all your support. And as a little Christmas gift, I should let you know that uh, it is official that Freddie Meadows has uh, sat down for an interview very recently. So uh, we look forward to sharing that one with you in the new year, um, maybe a late Christmas present. So there you go, Freddie Meadows coming soon. Thanks a lot, everyone, for tuning in. Thanks for supporting us at the magazine. And everyone have a great Christmas and new year. That's all from me. Bye.